<laughs> well, Joshy, our pup over there, welcomes everyone to the Emergent Human Podcast, <laughs> where we optim where we explore optimizing human health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a somatic educator, executive coach, and transpersonal guide, and I'm your host. I briefly want to do a shout out to my friend, former U.S. Navy SEAL Chris Smith, who has a new training program, an online training program called Trident Mindset. Trident Mindset is an online mindset training program created, created by SEALs, intelligence operatives, and neuroscientists. You can learn more at www.tridentmindset.com. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today. Our guest is Ruth Culver, who is going to speak about her Survive Thrive Spiral System, which integrates internal family systems and polyvagal theory. A little about Ruth. Ruth is a somatic psychotherapist based in Brighton, UK. She works with adults and teenagers in groups and individually with a particular interest in trauma, attachment, and resilience. She uses internal family systems model of psychotherapy, known as IFC, IFS, and often integrates it with other embodied and creative processes, including constellations and intuitive drawing. It's great to see you, Ruth. How are you today? Thank you. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Certainly. I'm very excited to talk about your spiral, which integrates these two really interesting systems. But before we go down that path, tell, tell us about how you personally became interested in living inside of your body and then how did that turn into a profession for you? Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I think if anybody had seen me from the outside, Michael, they would have thought I was fairly embodied maybe, unless they kind of knew about these things. Cause I looked like a vibrant, active person doing, moving, dancing, you know, but the level to which I was dissociated on many, you know, on many kind of, in many areas, it was hidden to me. And, and um, so, yeah, I was really, I just pushed myself until I fell over. And then I had to get interested, you know, I got sick, I got chronic fatigue syndrome and all sorts of, you know, things that go alongside that when your body just, just says, no, stop. When did this happen for you? Well, it was kind of gradual. I think I was, um, became a bit of a workaholic through my twenties and thirties and my health just went down and down and eventually I was you know, still carrying on my work from my bed. I got one of these special tables that covered wow. my legs that I could, you know, use my laptop whilst lying down. And I was just keep going, keep going, keep going. So yeah, wow. I, I got sick and then I started really looking for things that could help because regular medicine wasn't going to help me. And um, I really got interested in hypnotherapy originally. That was the first thing that helped. And I got to really understand that the mind and body are as one. It's not just that they're linked, they're as one they reflect each other they're they're kind of Siamese twins almost um so I just got more and more interested in it and I guess it's probably been 15 18 years or something that I've been on this journey now and uh more and more fascinating every day so you so one of the first things I heard you say is hypnotherapy as a way to kind of uh, help mind-body practices to change your condition yeah. what other therapies or technologies or tools or techniques did you investigate as part of your attempt to recover and and heal yourself yeah 
Well, I did the usual thing, you know, first of all, you go to the regular doctors and when they can't help you go to more kind of naturopaths and, and, and that kind of supported me. But until I dealt with what was driving me, you know, that drive, and I'll talk a little bit about this later when we get onto the spiral, that, that kind of um, push, the, the go stop um, thing that's happening in the body of someone with chronic fatigue, you know, parts of, parts of us are pushing us, go, 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 and other parts going, stop, you've just got to stop doing this. And, and when you don't understand what embodiment is, because it's not a cognitive understanding, it's an embodied understanding. I mean, it's like saying, describe a taste. Well, I don't know, I've never even tasted the thing. So how can I describe the taste when I, it's never been in my mouth? So the discovery is, takes a while. Yeah. How did this exploration turn from a personal exploration to mm. heal yourself into a professional yeah. one for you? Yeah, so I suppose I looked into slightly answering a previous question. I, I looked into NLP and I looked into then led to hypnotherapy and that really helped me. And because I'd had to give up my job in event management, I was I was a, a super um, perfectionist working in charities and the arts where there's never enough people to do the job. So I was always doing two or three people's work. Um, and once I could no longer do that, I had to find another kind of line of work. And I, w I was just good at telling stories. So hypnotherapy came really easily and um, that I could do part time and gradually it's become more and more, I've, you know, I've, I've looked at lots of different things. I've done so many uh, CPD trainings in, in embodied areas and creative things and gestalt and transaction analysis and all sorts of little bits and bobs have come into my toolbox through various different trainings. Um, but it was really when I found internal family systems that everything fell into place. You know, all that I've been trying to do, trying to understand how a, a system would work that, that really satisfied me and was trauma aware. That's when it, when it all fell into place. And this, this might be a nice time if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit about internal family systems. And, and I love, I listened to a lecture you gave, uh, and, and I love the fact you pointed out that is non-pathologizing approach to human growth and development, which I think is really important. So if you wouldn't mind, just like a brief yeah. overview of IFC, IFS, that'd be great. Yeah. So IFS was created um, probably about 40 years ago by a guy called Richard Schwartz. He was, a f he was working in family therapy and he was working with the external family system. So different members of the family and how a problem, you know, different members, um, different people in the family would all react in different ways to create the one issue. And uh, he, short story, but basically found that he needed to, to work with the internal parts of people and these parts type therapies psychosynthesis gestalt there's different parts type therapies around um, that he kind of built on that but he also took things from um, focusing so paying attention to the body very somatic mm -hmm. from somatic experiencing from uh, um, gestalt and all sorts of different aspects of he's kind of cherry picked really good stuff from lots of different therapies and put it together in a, a beautiful um Selection, self-connected, universally connected way of understanding the human um, mind and the human personality, and multiplicity is really at its core. So 
we all have many parts, you know, we so normally think, uh, well, you know, shall I take this new job they're offering me? There's a part of me that can't be bothered. I quite like the old one. You know, it's easy. It's another part that I really wants to get on and achieve. And there's another part that thinks, oh, well, dad will be really proud of me if I do. And you know, so this is so normal that we, we all have many parts. And so people with pers multiple personality disorder are just somewhere further along the, the scale, further on the spectrum, where the parts have had to become more extreme. Uh, take on extreme roles so he he has this view that um of, of multiplicity and once you start seeing it that way you realize that the part of us that say um numbing us out and making us stay in bed because we're so depressed or the mm -hmm. part that's running around my part was like you've got to do this right do more do more work more work more that part is just an over adaptation it's it's gone a little extreme in result as a result of the way it got programmed to work. And so it's not that someone has depression or anxiety, it just means that part is running or those parts, in the case of something like manic depression, you're swinging between yeah. different parts. Um, and chronic fatigue, I mentioned earlier, you've got the, the part that's, that's go, 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 and other parts going stop, stop, stop. It results in chronic fatigue. That's the, the, the um, ultimate um, collapse that happens but it's the parts who are running the show uh, and it's the fight between them. So yeah, um, <laughs> going back to your question, um, it's a non-pathologizing model. We don't say you're psychotic or you've got multiple personality disorder or you've got depression. It's just that there are depressed parts, there are numbing parts, there are parts that feel hopeless. Those are the ones that are taking over. And it's so beautiful to do the work, to work with these parts one by one and they, they they respond they they relax they don't really want to do these jobs you kind of already answered this partially but let me ask you for a kind of a deeper dive what was your personal takeaways from diving into ifs in terms of your own growth and development generally speaking but also specifically to the health challenges that you're facing yeah well it's ongoing, you know, I've, you actually view this as a lifelong thing. It's like physical health, mental health. You always have to be working with it to stay healthy. But when you've got some things to unwind, you have to work a bit harder. You know, if you've got an injury, you do some physiotherapy. So it's ongoing for me, but I think the the core of IFS is self-compassion. You know, we don't, we're not about fixing stuff. So on top of all these parts, the thing that Richard Schwartz brought in was this essence of self. Now, self doesn't do anything. It's like the, it's like the, the witness, the parent, the, the, um, the, the kind of being with. It's a, it's a being, not a doing. So all our parts will be busy doing things, but this being element of us, it's kind of a mixture between soul and spirit. Mm -hmm. And it can be with whatever painful or overactive parts are doing their thing. And they get to relax when they feel this universal core essence, this beautiful, calm, curious, compassionate um, element of that's within us all. And we can get more and more contact with that. So that's the personal growth. As we get more awareness and contact with our self energy, so all the extreme parts start to relax, the parts holding trauma, which Richard Schwartz calls what's called exiles it's feelings have had to be pushed away because they're so painful they get healed so 
my little parts that feel not good enough, you know, that maybe were the first first time I did a podcast, but terrified that, you know, it's about people will judge me and they're a lot calmer than they used to be. And it's the, the parts that maybe would make me run around doing lots of homework and, and trying to be trying to get it right. They're a lot calmer. So they're more in connection with self. You're kind of more um, in a flowing. You can express your feelings and needs. And the space then for more creativity, individuation, growth, intimacy, spontaneity, as a result of healing the exiles that got locked away and and contact with what he calls what Schwartz calls protectors, which are all the doing parts that either shut things down, run away, collapse, or run around madly trying to fix stuff. So a couple of things I hear. <clears throat> One, just when you're talking about kind of the self, mindful, um, uh, core self, inner knowing, soul, mindfulness. Um, it's interesting because it sounds like almost every and any spiritual system could, would fit nicely within IFS. Like yeah, it's non-denominational in, in that sense of kind of getting into the essential nature of the human being. Yeah, people with strong religious um, feelings um, don't usually have a problem with IFS at all. I haven't encountered it myself. It, as you say, it fits alongside, but it's not the same self as say in Buddhism, or um, it's it's slightly different because this one is, it's not about letting go and observing. It's about real compassionate con connection. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's much more relationship-based. Yeah, very relational. It's like an yeah. internal co-regulation, you know? Got it. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. And it, and it sounds like it's a really, it's an interesting model kind of integrating transpersonal theory and somatics. Because I would imagine like these different voices or personalities or subpersonalities, um, they have somatic components to them. Like there's a breathing pattern, an energetic pattern, uh, a posture pattern. Is that accurate? Yeah, different ways in with different folks. You know, some people um, talk much more about um, their emotions. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how they access, that's how their parts ex express themselves. But other people will be much more somatic. You know, they'll come out in migraines, in back pain. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you you know John Sarno's work. Uh, he's got, yep. He wrote this book, I Can Heal Your Back Pain. It's so often it's uh, suppressed anger. And so, mm -hmm. of course, that's an emotion that got stored in the body. So, yeah, somatics are a wonderful way in. And, and we might get very curious about uh, any chronic um, pain or illness. And they often have lots of information. I had a, a client, um, she had back, terrible back pain and she had all sorts of surgeries to try to correct it. But it was only when we traced it back and really listened to and talked to this pain that it told us what it was holding. It did not want to let go of a friend who died. It oh. was like holding the grief. So mostly it's anger, but for this particular person, it was about, I'm not going near that grief. It will kill me. And that was what that part felt. So we had to work gently with the part that was holding that grief. It strikes me as, I think as you resist persists, and it sounds like this approach is almost the exact opposite as a, as a instead of uh, resisting or opposing these voices and trying to like, exile them, yeah. which will never work, <laughs> it just makes them louder, I would imagine. You're actually trying to befriend them in a certain way and, and change the relationship dynamics, but still have a relationship with them. Because I would imagine that, that they originated out of good 
goodness, like the, it was, there was a need that you had really perceived to protect yourself in some situation from in utero till, you know, early childhood or somewhere um, that maybe that voice or that personality subtype maybe doesn't serve you as well now the way it's relating to you, but it served you at one point. Is that, would that be an accurate way of kind of yeah, thinking absolutely. about it? Okay. That, yeah, that's how they, that's how they come into being. Um, you know, if, if mom or dad is really stressed and always yelling at you, you might find the best way to manage is to go quiet, you know, mm -hmm. to really not ever speak up and ask or to be a people pleaser or super helpful or uh, a perfectionist or, you know, high achiever. So the ways that, you survive, you, you make things as, as uh, manageable as possible in early years will become what we think of as a personality. We mm -hmm. actually, it's actually who we think we are, but then we start to discover what we are underneath that, you know, and it is very spiritual once we connect to that amazing um, uh, essence, which is not about doing. Yeah, and actually, that's that's might be a nice segue because you also integrate polyvagal theory, and there's a nice parallel you know, between uh, finding safety and connection, I am with self, and we'll walk through the the model that you've created. But now might be a nice time if you could kind of briefly explain polyvagal theory, but also contextualize in your own life, like you know, so you learn I have S. How did polyvagal theory come into your world? How did it help you in your own inner work? And then how did you integrate it into your work with, in your, with as a therapist? Yeah, well, I was I was studying to um, to facilitate constellations process, which is a really amazing uh, somatic um, unifying kind of weird, but also so provable. You know, you just get this incredible information. I'm not going to go into it. But anyway, anybody who knows about constellations and knows what I'm talking about. So I'm studying to do this working with internal parts, particular uh, type of, of constellation working with internal parts. But I kept seeing and experiencing for myself, people being completely overwhelmed. So yeah. that was I like working with as a therapist trying to learn this thing thinking, hang on, we're supposed to be working with trauma, but people are being re traumatized. They're, they're, there's, there's no there's nothing regulating this the contact with traumatized parts or or these very strong uh, survival mechanisms. I mean, for example, the inner critic, that's one of the strongest mm -hmm. ones, that one who just hammers away at us. And it can be um, very painful to experience the shame that when you come into contact with the shame that's being created as a result of internalizing this critical voice, that of course, is as you say, trying to help. It's, 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 it's really trying to make you not mess up so that you don't hurt more, but it uh, becomes a vicious cycle. So I saw this and um, got very interested in what was happening in people's bodies, um, you know, being able to start to spot when I was facilitating, when people were, maybe their eyes were glazing over or they were um, uh, hyper, hyperactive, you know, um, really not grounded, you know, when they've lost, when they've left their grounded essence. And then I think through one of my amazing teachers, I came across um, polyvagal theory and it just fell into place once I started introducing my workshops with, oh, look, you know, if we notice where we are on this polyvagal, um, I was using the window of tolerance at the time, you know, the, the window of tolerance model where you've got this kind of nice resilient space in the middle where you're kind of okay, you're in, you can have feelings, but they're not overwhelming. 
Um, and on the window of tolerance, either you go up into hyperarousal where you're um, uh, kind of in fight flight, or you go down underneath into um, hypoarousal where you're um, more shut down and you've gone numb or, or you know, blank or and um it just didn't make sense to me that you would have to, you would go through resilient place to get from hypo to hyper that that doesn't make any sense so then i yes, same sort of time i found polyvagal and I, ah this is a different shape and that's where this spiral came in that we're spiraling up out of ourselves and we can spiral back down so just to to explain that shall i do that michael yes, no that'd be great yeah definitely yeah. Because people can download the the spiral free from my website, but but if you if you um the bottom is green, which in the UK I don't know some countries are not like this, but in the bottom section you've got this this green flow state where you can feel I can, and everything's in connection. Even the protectors who are trying to do things to make to make things okay for you, they're still they're they're in balance, they're in discussion, they're members of an orchestra who can listen to each other and not take over, you know. But then if you if you get super activated, you'll go into fight flight. And yeah, we need to sometimes. We we need to be able to run away or or hide to to save ourselves. If that doesn't work, the only choice is to go even further into a kind of freeze collapse sort of space in in the nervous system, in terms of the nervous system. And that on my chart is red, which is kind of stop. <laughs> yeah, it's like just everything just stops. So I was working with how people could notice this happening in their bodies, uh, what the signs are, where we maybe hang out. Many of us will have a um, a second home, you know. Those of us who haven't developed resilience haven't learned to hang out in the green zone for our lives because we learn that from our parents, of course, you know, we or our caregivers. Their ability to self-regulate uh, their system teaches the baby self-regulate their system and the young child that's how we learn it so if we don't learn it we might end up living our lives in one of the in the amber or the red zone would you say it starts in utero as opposed to post-birth yeah well i would say the learning to regulate is post-birth that's kind of part of the developmental process especially for the first two years but the um being sent into a state of um hyper vigilance or shutdown yeah, that could definitely start in utero because, of course, the baby is being exposed to the same hormones as the mother. Mm -hmm. So if she's full of cortisol and adrenaline, that baby's going to get it too. If the baby senses that the world isn't safe, um, then then they'll react in whatever way they can to mm -hmm. either shut down, numb out, or be absolutely hypervigilant. Yeah. I would wonder, and I don't know if there's any clinical evidence either way, um, if a baby inside of the mother has the eggs that will eventually become the baby's kids, you know, down the road. So I'm wondering, you know, as the baby is affected by the mother's experience, would the egg within the baby have be influenced in some way or another um, by the mother's to baby's experience? Yeah, there, there is increasing research on this. Rachel Yehuda's done quite a lot of interesting yeah. work with Holocaust survivors and um, mm -hmm. and the 9-11 uh, the, a lot of babies and mothers track then. Um, you know, it's in the Bible. The sins of the father should be visited unto the seventh generation. We know there was transgenerational transmission. And um, the whole discussion of um, nurture or nature is 
very much up in the air once we realize there's this going on. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> Polyvagal gave you some insights into uh, where your clients were, how they were experiencing life inside themselves, whether they're freezing, fight, flight, um, self-regulating, or, or kind of in a I am soulful, relaxed, non-doing space. So it kind of gave you a model for that is what I'm hearing better understand where they are. Yeah. And it's also beautifully de-shaming because when you get that, say the part of you that maybe overeats or self harms, when you get that that part has a positive intention, that it was trying to help you mm-hmm. keep away because the protector's job uh, is to keep away the bad feelings from being refelt mm-hmm. or re-triggered, you know, just like, I don't want to feel that, I don't want to feel what that feels like again. I want it replicated and I don't want to have to even process it because just keep it away. That's their job. So um, once you realize that, you know, part of the self-harming is like just trying to help and you get into conversation with it, find out what it needs in future, then IFS has this beautiful uh, dialogue process of, you just just converse with your parts um, and you find out what they're worried about, what, what they would like to help them. Um, they often think you're much younger than you really are. They still think you're the age that they started doing it. Uh, and they lead you to help, um, uh, heal the young parts that they've spent all this time protecting. Yeah. And then of course, then they can relax and, and, and chill out. Nice. I, I would imagine just as IFS is non-pathologizing, polyvagal is too, because listen to you speak, if someone's, um, hypo aroused or fight or flight freeze whatever wherever they are it's adaptive it's not pathological that's right yeah yeah exactly it's adaptive and that's the good news you know okay so maybe we didn't get to learn to um be able to self-regulate or, or even co-regulate maybe even other people are so dangerous for us because of how our early life was that we can't at the moment co-regulate just understanding it um both in an embodied way, you know, experiencing that we do move through different states, even the most stuck people get experienced in different states. So there's some hope comes there. And, um, and knowing that it's a way our body's trying to help us survive. So de-shaming, it's like, oh, it's not my fault. This is, mm. this is what I had to do subconsciously. It happened to help me survive. And then we can start building up the, um, the contact with our own self energy, this, um, this flow state. And polyvagal allows us to understand about safety, connection with others, sometimes maybe just connection with nature is the first way in to feel safe. And then connection with others, connection with self, so that the sense of safety is, safety is built gradually. And yeah, the wonderful news is we can repattern the brain. So let me ask you that. So I, I, when I read about what you do, you work with individuals, groups, teenagers as well, which is a whole alien life form. <laughs> Good for you. Um, and, but I'm curious, like when you're working with an individual or working with a group of folks um, and you and any one person might be in a freeze or fight or flight space, what other tools and exercises, technologies, interventions do you do to help them? Um, regulate themselves so that then then they can deal with the pers- subpersonalities, perhaps. Yeah. So I would imagine, like you know, if they're if they're 
disassociated or they're frozen or they're flight or flighting, they're not really in a, a headspace or a somatic space to start dealing with these internal conversations very well. Yeah, that's right. You, I use a lot of externalization with people who are with a, with a lot of trauma, a lot of uh, hypervigilance or, or shutdown. Externalization works beautifully. So it could be just using objects. You know, if I'm some of the teenagers, I'm, I'm walking on the beach with them. You know, we pick up stones and sticks and, and, you know, pick up something for your angry part or whatever. And we just we just do it with a little bit of play, which is really okay. nice. With um, the lot of people I use this drawing process, which I've developed called Drawing Into Self. And um, it's a way of just instinctively connecting to things. So if someone brought a situation, for example, uh, shouting at my kids, you know, uh, then say, okay, yeah, so this part that shouts at your kids, where do you feel that in your body? Oh, it's this rush that rises up through my chest. And if it had a color, what color would it be? Oh, be red. Okay, grab a red and now put it on the paper. And we use these big pieces of paper. So the energy starts going on the paper. So it comes out of the body. And then we start the IFS. How do you feel towards that red part? Oh, well, I hate it or I'm ashamed of it. There we go. We've just unblended by putting it on the paper. So the paper is used as a a way to um, release the grip, if you like, of these parts taking over. And then they get you, they get the self energy with them of starting to do the conversation. So yeah, externalizing, um, sometimes through movement. Sometimes we don't use a lot of um, grounding in IFS, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, uh, if, if somebody's got a very overwhelmed system, we use grounding processes. And then as soon as we can, we start talking, you know, what's it like for the part that's terrified when you suggest these long out breaths, these, mm. these long, what's that like for the terrified part when you do that? So you're already setting up self with the terrified part. Mm. Just do through activities. How about breath work? I, I've heard you mention breath. How, mm-hmm. how does um, managing or modifying one's breath play into the work that you do do? Yeah, well, it's funny because quite often you go to workshops and things and they say, oh, let's have some long, long, deep breaths. But actually, the understanding of polyvagal is a long breath it means different things. And depending on where you are, you need a different type of breath. So if you're in fight flight if you're in the state of i must i've got to do something you some long out breaths will bring you more into a self-connected ve- uh, ventral vagal state some long out breaths but if you're shut down and you're in a more frozen state of i can't long out breaths are just going to put you more to sleep they aren't going to help you so this is where you might move to some a little bit of body movement or maybe just a few little breaths to like a slight slight increase in the in-breath to bring a bit more aliveness into the system. And again, it's just the right amount so mm-hmm. that people are not overwhelmed, but noticing how using the right kind of breath can um, change our state, can bring us into more connection with self-energy. If you wouldn't mind, if you could walk through this survive, thrive, spiral a little bit, and, and obviously people can go check it out and listen to your lectures on it, which I think, let me encourage everyone to do that and train with you too. Um, but if you could just walk through so people can see the relationship um, from I am, I can, I must, I hurt, I can't, self, self-connected, fixed protectors, exiles and freeze protectors, the relationship between the IFS and um, polyvagal, br- briefly, yeah. Yeah. So people have an idea. 
So on the chart, I've got polyvagal on one side and I've got IFS on the other. So polyvagal is that's the kind of the autonomic nervous system, which of course is created as a result of experiences with none of us the same. And then on the left-hand side, I've got the internal family systems, which is much more the psychological ways of doing and being, you know, our personality and our, what, we, what we're up to in life. And at the center, we've got the spiral and I've got these very, very simple words, which I've been using a little bit. So right at the bottom, you've got I am, and that's self-energy, which is, it's not about doing. You know, we're human beings. We do, we do do, but we're also beings. It's almost like yin and yang, you know? It's not about masculine and feminine, it's just about, for me, it's about being and doing, and we need both. So we can't live our lives in self, total self, because then we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't have breakfast. We wouldn't get the kids to bed. You know, we, so we need parts that do stuff, but if they're self-connected, if they're in contact with I am, we can do it in a healthy way that doesn't um, overwhelm us. We can flow into up, up the spiral, into fight, flight, and freeze if we need to, when we need to. We don't mm. want to get rid of those, but the point is we don't get stuck. Mm. If we had trauma, we may have got stuck up there. But once the whole system is working beautifully, then we will we will flow in and out of those different states. So the bottom you've got I am, which is in connection ideally with I can. So whatever mm. happens, I can deal with it. My parts can do stuff and I won't get overwhelmed. Then we will get overwhelmed sometimes and we go into I must and that's the, the amber yellow zone and that's fight flight. I've got to do something. It's a fixed zone. I've got to do something to sort this out. If we can't do it, then that's when it, we end up in the red zone right at the top, oh. that place of I can't, which in um, polyvagal terms is um, it's called dorsal vagal. It's about collapsing. But it also has... Um, in personality terms, so more in the in the what we're actually doing as human beings, we might not be fully in dorsal vagals. We may not have collapsed utterly. We may still be keep keeping going, but we've kind of they call it fawning or um, uh, uh, submitting. It's kind of that. Well, I can't change this, so I'll just carry on. You know, mm -hmm. I'll just carry on because I literally can't change it. So it's a kind of hopeless state. It has a very low energy, so it doesn't feel like fight flight, but there is some adrenaline to get some stuff done. So okay. that's the very top zone. So in the middle of that red zone and that yellow zone, all those protectors, the fight flight and the freeze protectors, all doing their thing. So fight flight, the kind of protectors you might have in fight flight are things like hypervigilance, criticizing, being perfect, bullying, obsessions, mm -hmm. compulsions. Whereas more in the freeze protectors, you've got... Um, depression, being passive, maybe sleeping a lot, um, uh, spiritual bypassing. That's a great freeze. Okay. I don't you, have yeah. to feel anything. Okay. I was going to ask it's, you to explain what that is. Yeah. Spiritual bypassing. You know, these yogis, like off I go. I don't mean all of them. I'm a yogi too, but you know, the ones, the people who are just so Zen that they just leave, but they're not in touch <laughs> with reality with with the pain um in fact dick schwartz was talking about this he was saying you know the first um idea about spirituality uh, enlightenment was that you leave mm -hmm. whereas now we know it's about knowing what that feels like when you leave and being able to bring that feeling back kind of like integrating, integrating the ascending and descending paths yeah. yeah 
So in the middle of all those protectors, whether they're doing or shutting down, you've got this little circle on my spiral called I hurt, which is where the exiles are. And this is where all the pain is held. So this is pure reservoir of usually very young parts that have been banished, holding grief or shame, rage. And I'm talking about not the attacking anger, which will be fight flight. We're talking about that. No, it's not fair. that kind of pure rage that's supposed to be there to protect us but it often gets banished. Mm. So all these things have to get encapsulated and the protectors keep them away from being hurt or from hurting us. And they stay there. It's like they are in a time capsule. Mm. So by having this self-connection with them, it's like we send a golden thread to them and they start to feel our presence. It's, it's inner child work, but it's very, it's like gold standard. That's what um, um, Bessel van der Kolk called it, that gold standard of inner child work. Let me ask you the role that you play as a therapist within this kind of system that you that you've integrated and utilize because I, I would imagine for many people who live in I must I heard I can't um, for a long period of their life that they don't necessarily have the experience of I am ever maybe or maybe various as a state very short periods of time maybe they don't have a lot of self-connected experiences and so I'd imagine that you as a therapist can kind of play the role using kind of transference, transfers, you know, if you want to use the therapeutic lanes, we don't have to, of like, of a grounded, loving, in your case, mother figure, or, you know, could be a man or a father figure or whatever the person might need, but you're, you play a role for them. And this is a question, I don't know if this is what happens, where they can learn to, through the relationship, trust themselves in a certain way. Is, does a relationship play any kind of role for you in this work? Well, it's very, very small in comparison to a conventional psychotherapy. Okay. Yes, we will model the self-energy because as, as an IFS therapist, you are always working on your own parts. And, okay. you know, um, that, that's how we do supervision. It's like working with the parts that come up. And so modeling this connection to self is is part of the job but it's not my relationship with the therapist with the client that's the okay. healing thing yes they'll get a bit mm -hmm. of that but basically the whole essence of ifs is about turning that towards themselves it's, like as soon awesome. as you can start to do this and i'll kind of model it for you and i'll and i'll talk i'll work i'll talk you through it i'll walk you through it. i'll take your hand and walk you through coming into contact with your own self energy so that it, it becomes a self to self or a self to part um, relationship rather than self to therapist, part to therapist relationship. I, I could imagine that the effects, the positive effects down the road would be is, as if I'm a client of yours and I'm developing healthy relationships to parts of myself, first I have to recognize there's parts of myself and I develop healthy relationships to them, that that would translate into how I relate to other people too, recognizing that they too have subparts that need to be related to differently. It's not, I'm, it's not like I'm related to one unique individual. I'm relating to a multiverse individual in front of me, or, or I don't know what the language you might use, but do you see the effects that once you start working with an individual that it will have on the relationships that they have? Absolutely. It's the, the very core of IFS is compassion. Mm. And that, that is turned inward and outward. It, it mm. just, it just is, it just grows and grows. And so even when people have um, really harmed you or been cruel, forgiveness is irrelevant because you just have understanding. You have mm. compassionate understanding that there are parts running the show um, and that 
those parts have a positive intention. I mean, that's a, a, such a beautiful phrase. All parts have a positive intention. Even the ones that you may hate or be ashamed of, mm-hmm. they all have a positive intention. And once you find out about your own disliked or disowned parts, positive intention, you're going to see them in other people too. Nice. So tell us a little bit about your work. Like how can people work with you individually or as couples or families or teenagers and, and your trainings that you offer, things along those lines? Yeah, well, I, I love to offer free things because I have a long waiting list. So um, if you want to learn a little bit more about the um, spiral and internal family systems, there's a free video as a, as a lecture on YouTube. Um, so that's a, a good place to start. I run workshops um, in exploring the spiral for yourself, so kind of experiential, it's a kind of follow-on thing. We, we do lots of drawing and, and sharing and co-regulating in, in groups of about 30 people or something. I don't like to do the huge ones because I like to be in touch with people and you know get a sense of nervous systems. So they, I do those as often as I can and I run these um, drawing into self um, online courses. They're eight weeks long for eight people and in that we do um, a mixture of group drawing processes where we might explore polarities you know where parts really hate each other like the one who wants to eat all the cake and the one who wants to lose weight you know and and how so we kind of have some fun with those and um, in that as well we do one-to-one processes and people witness and that oh the the connection in the group even on zoom you know it's multicultural people from all over the world coming in and there's deep connections by observing each other's IFS one-to-ones um, through the drawing process, through witnessing each other's process. Beautiful. So I do those every so often. Um, hopefully in the summer, I'll be running some uh, live workshops and retreats, obviously in the UK. Um, and one-to-one, I do a certain amount of one-to-one work, but uh, mostly it's group work these days, which I love. And I'm looking forward to getting back to Constellations, which I stopped doing once we had uh, COVID because it requires a bit more, you know, personal contact. But I'm looking forward to doing Well, since you brought up Constellations twice, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, could you just briefly explain, it's Hellinger, is that Mm. that the creator of his work? Yeah. Just so people have an idea of one of the other things in your tool kit. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't you developed uh, family constellations where you work with the um, the external family system, and people uh, participants in the group sort of take on roles. They don't have to have any information about it. They just kind of step into. Okay, I'm going to represent your mother or your father, and then they say what instinctively comes to them, which sounds a bit nuts. But we clearly have deep bonds of resonance between us as human beings because you see it over and over again and I've done hundreds of them myself you just open your mouth and something comes out you don't even know what's going to come out and it'll be pinpoint accurate I can remember I was representing somebody I didn't know anything about this woman's sister and what came out of my mouth was let's go to the pub let's have a drink and she turned to me and said my sister's a drunk you know a happy drunk and, mm-hmm. and I was literally skipping around the room going let's go to the pub I don't know why I was doing that uh-huh. <laughs> so that's the kind of weird resonance that comes up in constellations so I actually trained in internal in working with internal parts through uh, the work of Franz Rupert but now I have um that, that's called identity oriented psychodramatology he's German it's a very German okay. name. <laughs> I trained in that but I've actually now completely changed the way I work and I just use internal family systems so we're working with with the parts of IFS the dialogue of IFS the unblending 
Um, so it's a way of doing IFS in a 3D way, which is usually layer upon layer upon layer of unblending. And by that, I mean, if you bring a, um, a, a situation such as, well, I'll give the same one, I shout at my kids. The first part that come up might be the, the rage that, you, that, that you're shouting at your kids. And so somebody takes on that, that um, they just stand in the role as the rage. They don't have to act. They just say what comes up. And, you know, it's all kind of fairly low key, but nuggets of, of pure gold come out. And then after the rage has been unblended, by unblending, I mean, you know, you're kind of literally stepping out of it and kind of putting it somewhere else out of you. Um, then maybe the shame that I'm shouting at my mm. kids come up. So we ask somebody to represent the shame. And then after that, there might be a despairing part. I'll never be able to do this right. And then there'd be, you know, and so the unblending is part after part. And then you start to see the constellation. And a constellation, the meaning of that phrase is a collection of parts. You know, a doctor mm. will say, uh, an interesting constellation of symptoms in this patient constellation starts just a collection of parts so we start to see the parts and how they relate to each other around the room and then the deep work might start with one part say the part that's um uh got the most heat in it or um uh where the client is most drawn and then we'll do a piece of beautiful um uh, repair work uh, as, as they connect to that part and mm. then Gradually, they'll have to get to know the other parts over the coming weeks, months, years, as the whole system starts to shift. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Um, what What's a website that people can visit to learn more about your work? Mm, my website is Calm Heart, as in peaceful organ in your chest. Yes. .co.uk. Awesome, Ruth. Uh, great to talk to you. I think your model is fantastic. Let me encourage folks to definitely check out your website, watch the video because it's really informative, download the, the, the PDF and uh, sign up for your classes. Great, well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Michael. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you too, bye. Bye-bye.